Welcome back to the Michael Anthony Show for the 156th edition of the show. Weeks since we sat down with Michael Schumann and had a remarkable write-up in A&R Factory by someone who seemed to understand what the MA show is about. And we appreciate that. And we tip our hats to not only the gesture, but your accurate... Mm, descriptive and quite beautiful journalism which shows that you understand not just what this show's about but what life's about or do any of us the sinking sound of despair the smell of dread in the air I'm head to toe in my own fear I'm going to die and I need to cry ah. I've spent the last two months falling out with a variety of individuals who also claim to support Manchester United due to accusations of negativity because I wasn't... Um, doing laps around the place, thinking that Ten Hag was the second coming of Busby. And that was due to the fact that the team is still absolutely littered with people who don't know what it means to win and to access somewhere psychologically that only great, not just athletes, but men can access. And people can say it's just one match, it's a blip. But personally, I don't think losing 7-0 in Anfield is subject to recovery. We look at Eric Ten Hag, good CV, good job at Ajax, when his team was the better team playing in each football match um, that he was managing. And then comes to United, and due to a style of personality, which is supportive, encouraging, Strict, but without being scary. I mean, anyone who credits him for the Ronaldo thing just doesn't understand how media, agents, contracts, or the fucking modern world works. He was powerless in that whole thing. But he has a style that makes you feel comfortable, which is the perfect feeling to have as a footballer if you're playing against lesser opposition, such as Aston Villa in Old Trafford, or Burnley in Old Trafford, or Charlton in Old Trafford, or Nottingham Forest over two before playing Newcastle, who don't know what a trophy is in a final who were, of course, about to engage in their downward slope. Because it's football, and we've seen this all too many fucking times. And that was his League Cup run. A run that I don't think anybody can argue Solskjaer would have won. Where's he going out? Villa at home. You've Emery, new to the job, um, thinking he's in a relegation battle. He doesn't want to be in the League Cup. You then have Burnley at home managed by Vincent Company, who are walking the championship, who just don't need a cup run. You then have Charlton, who haven't been a football club in 15 years. You then have Nottingham Forest in a relegation battle, over two. And a Newcastle team that was never going to be able to handle the occasion. What game does Solskjaer lose there? None. So he wins the League Cup. You then look at the FA Cup, you have Everton, still under Lampard. Once again, relegation threatened. Do not need a cup in Old Trafford. 
You've Paul Ince's Reading. And you've West Ham under Moyes, also in a relegation battle in Old Trafford. Which game is Solskjaer losing? Probably none. Then you have the Europa League. You're in a group with Real Sociedad, Omnia, and Sheriff. So Solskjaer obviously qualifies from that group, so he either comes first or second. Ten Hag came second. So Solskjaer would achieve that as well. And also for any of these United fans who point to the fact that Ten Hag knocked Barcelona out of the Europa League, just because viewing figures and um, online culture disqualifies us from differentiating between the Champions League and the Europa League and it's all just a fucking numbers game now, doesn't mean that it wasn't the same tournament that Fulham got to the final of in 2010, overturning a heavy deficit against Juve in a semi. Or the Borough got to the final of. The tournament that Liverpool beat Alaves 5-4 in. The 0-1 final. Andre Villas-Boas won that tournament in 2011. Where do you think uh, the final was played? Balls Bridge. Dublin. Aviva Stadium. Porto Braga. Not only is the Europa League not worthy of any form of note, I mean, why would any United fan want us to be in three finals in six years anyway? It just makes us look second tier. But Barcelona are also top of the league, trying to recover from being a fallen giant, with a comfortable gap between themselves and Real Madrid, who are the best team in the world. Why if Barcelona, who, by the way, have conceded eight league goals, so how we think we scored four against them over two legitimately, um, I don't understand. And that's not to say that they were deliberately throwing the game. They were kind of like Djokovic in a non-grand slam. He's not as guaranteed. It doesn't matter to him as much as an athlete to win that. So if Barcelona are about to possibly win a league, knowing that Real Madrid will start breathing down their fucking necks under Carlo Ancelotti, why would they want to be playing Real Betis on Thursday? In the Europa fucking league. When they've been one of the leading clubs in the world for the last 20 years. They don't want the fixtures. And they also don't want to win it. So Barcelona weren't really Barcelona. That's why Fred could score a goal of that magnitude. Or Anthony. Because there was no magnitude. It was made up by us. Hoping to recapture United and... and, and that hope led us to creating a false European night that doesn't exist. So would Solskjaer have knocked out Barcelona? Yeah! In that context, yes! You then look at the league. And we're third. Never wearing a title race. Don't, don't understand people who think we were. And we've conceded 35 league goals. More than Crystal fucking Palace. More than Brentford we could possibly concede 50 league goals this season. We're third in a league that Liverpool haven't really been engaging in, Chelsea aren't engaging in, and Tottenham's gaffer is in hospital. Do you think Solskjaer would be lower than third in this league? I don't. If he'd 
added Casemiro to his team, who's in the FIFA World Eleven. I don't. If he'd added Lissandro Martinez, again, that's linked to Ten Hag, we know that, but it's quality. It's a World Cup winner, although he didn't start. We want to get over that. Solskjaer would be doing just about the exact same job as Ten Hag is doing, and I'm not against him. He's a decent tactician. We can't say great. You can't, you can't say a guy who concedes as Manchester United manager a goal every seven and a half minutes and a half of football, which we lost 6-0. You can't say that's a great tactician. Even if it only happens once, and that's ignoring the fact that United conceded six away at Man City. Is he a great man-manager? As I said, there's smiling faces, there's trophies, there's fucking Veghorst singing um, the incorrect lyrics to Take Me Home United Road beside Harry Maguire who lifted the trophy on the fucking pitch. But if a guy has players who are willing to concede a goal every seven and a half minutes and a half in Anfield, they're not running through walls for him. Because that's not football or that's not bad luck. That's just not trying. And again, people say it's one game. No, not seven. You can't lose seven in Anfield. You can't do it. And psychologically, when Liverpool are better next season, Klopp now has that over him. And Guardiola also has the, we scored six at home to you, over him. Although Ten Hag won in Old Trafford, Fernandez's goal shouldn't stand. It makes no sense. So we return to the, the root concern with Eric Ten Hag, and that is personality. That genuine level of domineering fear that you need to win leagues. Especially when you represent a club like Manchester United, who everybody wants to see be shit. And for me, when he was losing 7-0, he seemed like the guy who's never going to be able to have a psychological edge on Klopp or Guardiola. Because I know if Jose Mourinho, someone who genuinely could get such edge, um, I know if he's losing 7-0 as Manchester United manager to Liverpool and Anfield, regardless of having already won the League Cup, and the camera is zooming in on his face slowly, someone's losing their job the next day. But with Ten Hag, it's semi-accepted, and people call it a process. Um, Yeah, a process to maybe not come sixth under him or to clean up a bit of dead wood in the squad, but not a process that leads to him winning the Premier League or the European Cup as the manager of Manchester United. And this is something we have to accept. And we have lowered our standards as fans because the Solskjaer era was so humorous and nonsensical and then Ralph Ragnick came in. So we're refusing to acknowledge that there is a mass psychosis occurring amongst Manchester United fans in which we no longer expect to be the best, which makes no sense based on our spending global notoriety and history a history that includes having the most leagues in the fucking country so yeah, don't be don't be overly shocked that the biggest defeat in the history of the fixture occurred last weekend and also, don't be overly shocked that the biggest league defeat for United since 1931 took place last weekend. 
because you can't be shocked by anything. Normal human beings are genuinely watching Tyson Fury's little brother who ran around the villa in pink shorts fingering chavs under a duvet that was based in a room occupied by other chavs and tossers running around in pink shorts fingering under duvets and by the way swapping these women that was the point of the show um, you kind of just finger loads of them and then two people I think they win I don't know what the fuck that means I don't know how you win something that um, quite clearly breeds nothing but emotional and intellectual loss for anybody who partakes or watches but he was having a boxing match with a guy who's whatever YouTube you know the fuck but the world doesn't notice that it is taking it seriously and even if they just think they're watching something because it's so outrageous and at the end of the day it's entertaining it does not matter there was WBC ranking points at stake and and there was also people's souls and identities at stake because individuals were discussing who's a better fighter between two non-fighters in bars and then watching it and using two hours of their, their time that is limited because you die at the end to watch this when they did not watch Canelo against Bivol. So it started out as a joke where we knew these YouTubers wanted nothing but money. The first time you see a cunt pull out a camera in his bedroom, you're not going, this guy wants to contribute art to the world or, or, or has something significant to say. You're going, look at this shameless cunt. You think of when you're 15. And it's the same thing you think about like um, people who overuse Instagram or tell us they got engaged or that their little irrelevant um, rodent of a baby has been born and... They're again putting it on an online catalogue that advertises their life in a positive manner to other people. Most fucked up um, mechanism that there has ever been in the history of human life. But we're so numb to that now. But we aren't choosing what we're seeing on these websites now. So if you were someone who was actually interested in boxing and you just want to type in Floyd Mayweather psychology, Atlanta Olympics 1996, Floyd Mayweather defensive performance v Canelo Alvarez. If you just watch them, you will then be sent automatic real videos of one of these blonde tossers who would think it's funny to show us people who are hanging from trees in Japan whilst getting away with it. You're watching them take a sip of a grapefruit fucking drink without ever wanting to watch it. So the information is now forced on us, on these things. You, you can't avoid it. If you're going to engage in one of these apps, you're going to see s some guy with a bandana or some guy who was on Love Island saying he will knock the other one out when no one cares. No one cares. Why do we care if these guys are beating each other in fights? When, when, when did that become one of our concerns? Who fucking cares? The reason we originally watched boxing was because they were so good at it. I wonder who's better at boxing. This is what these guys are known for, boxing. Holyfield fights Tyson. They're boxing extremely well for the last two decades. I wonder who's a better boxer between both men. But now our brains are so gone because we're just into their drama and bullshit stories about their mental health issues, their ex-girlfriends, their fucking net worth, that they can just now make us concerned about their boxing skills when no one ever fucking asked. We weren't watching Anton Deck. I wonder who'd win this fucking fight. So they've actually just noticed that capitalism has so many fucking flaws in it and that the promotion of fighting is actually much more important than the ability to fight. So they've stolen boxing, which symbolized certain 
human values such as integrity and pride, yeah, and also concussion and Parkinson's and caused mass murders. Problems with boxing, of course, but these guys stole the sport. And just after dancing around a ring and getting paid 10 million quid without knowing what they're doing. But we all knew this originally. It was laughed at originally, but now it, it isn't. Now they're the boxers of society. So money, tech companies, and the decreased intellectual standard of information we have access to has now made us lose our ability to know what's actually superior work or content, as they call it, or sporting ability or writing ability to other works. So when you no longer have a gauge of what's good and bad, 15 years ago, Ronaldo scoring hat-tricks in Saudi Arabia, we're just laughing. We're not even counting the goals, but now people are going, he's 8-4. and four. Not even contemplating what... what, what the, is the keeper jumping out of the way of the ball? Is he not? We don't know. We're accepting Messi in a gown, lifting a World Cup, and that fight itself taking place in that part of the world. It's, we're ignoring all of that. Most people, even if they weren't necessarily overly passionate about life, let alone certain cultural areas of life, they'd still know that Federer and Nadal were worth watching in a final. But that kind of standard of person who's not overly into anything loosely knows music, loosely knows sport, loosely knows politics, is only loosely curious about the inner psychological workings of humans. What he's mainly focused on is just kind of making sure he doesn't spend over a grand on, on any lad's holiday. That kind of safe guy has now accidentally been pulled to thinking Jake Paul and Tommy Fury matter more on a sporting level than Federer and Nadal. So if we've gotten that fucked, imagine where our morals have gone. Imagine how much we're misreading how to help people or how to preach about resilience or stoicism within human beings and how wrong we are by giving out psychiatric medication to the masses or how wrong we are and how we deal with homelessness and how much we misread things and believe media narratives that Putin's got it wrong by going to Ukraine thinking he'd win when in reality all he wanted to do was make sure he was true to his old Russian lineage and make sure that the Russian children coming up had a cousin, had an uncle, or had a brother who died in the name of the flag, as sick as that is. That's the era Putin's from, when his fucking granddad was Lenin's butler. It was with the concept of nationalism. So Putin didn't care if he won the war. He just wanted to make sure that the people of Russia and the world knew that there were still individuals in that country willing to die for no reason. He's holding on to the idea of great Russia. He's sick, as is anyone who believes that there's a spiritual element to a country which is man-made and, and not actually real. But it's not surprising. So we buy narratives about winning and losing wars without really thinking about what the fuck Putin's actually doing here. The only way that guy shakes the hand of his inner child is by believing that he made Russia great again. And that doesn't mean by winning or invading or having fucking mass celebrations on the streets. It means that they've people in their country who still believe that there was something worth fighting for. Leaving a stain on the future generations. Not allowing Russia to overly modernize and join the rest of the world in just globalization of information that means nothing fucking matters anymore. 
And again, anyone with blood on their hands is sick and is quite fucked up mentally. But do I respect Putin for, in a way, not playing the game and genuinely leaving a legacy of the evil bullshit dictator that out of our fear of him, we allowed host a World Cup? We're kind of dope as athletes. We gave him all the opportunities to mug off Western culture was probably slipping them envelopes underneath tables, but it got too far for the guy. He probably got Trump in power. But then he just actually started looking at the rotting of US culture. A culture that has made YouTubers the biggest athletes in the world. And that has made people who have sex tapes the most important figures who can sit in White Houses. And who talks about equality improving while celebrating money like it has never before. And he goes, you know what, it's not, it's not worth it. It's murder, it's destruction, it's wrong. It's, it's only the other side of the deluded US coin in which they pretend that there is no real problems and have pushed up and promoted a false left-wing narrative in the media that it's about black lives mattering or that it's about trans rights or it's about gay rights. A group of individuals who... Never really be able to speak for them fucking selves. I don't think they're arsed. And you're not allowed to make kind of curious statements about homosexuality anymore. And a straight white narrative that wants to keep money the most important has made sure that we get cancelled for saying things that are actually just curious. Such as, I don't know if you are born gay. And that doesn't mean that homosexuality doesn't exist. That's what they try to say. When, when someone comes out and says, I don't know if you're born gay, you're pointed at and saying, therefore you're doubting it. As a form of sexuality, no. But I think your life can make you gay. Depending on your value structure. Depending on what you were around in childhood. Depending on your perception of masculinity. That's a possibility. And it's not homophobic. Say you don't think they're born gay. Lose everything you have in life. Patronize them by wearing a pride flag because you want to pick up one of the chicks who's also pretending to relate to gay rights. And you're an ally. And then they say, well, listen, look at the gays of pride. They don't seem to have a problem. But the only gays who are camera facing are the fucking gimp gays. Every community of people has fucking tossers. And the guys who want to be on camera saying, fucking agents of the community, of the culture. There's loads of sound gays who go, yeah, you know what, I've, I've, I've pondered that myself. Did I become gay at a certain time in life? Was there an escapism from a side of straight culture? Was there something about not chasing the same common goal as these people who were viewed as Neanderthals in school? And I saw that the pursuit of the woman was nothing got to do with sexuality, but how they felt about themselves and what their position was in said group. And did I kind of want to run away from being them as much as possible that I knew that not having any form of competitiveness over females was a huge aid and it allowed me to grow comedically, intellectually, spiritually. So I kind of just got with blokes. And everyone says, now, nah, but imagine, imagine actually riding someone on their dick so... Yeah. Why? Because Stephen Stifler told us the dick's disgusting. And it's all about ass and tits and fanny. Like, I don't know if, if, 
as you age, you're not going to find, even when you're having sex, that it's a different form of pleasure. It's something that's purely within yourself and it's kind of quad cramping and very kind of dopamine releasing, but it's no longer filled with the same pride, that stupid pride you had from feeling you were now validated as a man for having a woman agree to lie under you naked when you know you're the same guy who's wanking in your fucking mirror. Are they your sister's knickers or are they her friend's knickers? I don't know where they used. None of us know the answers to any of this. But you know that you're that loser because all of our insecurity growing up in those teenage years comes from our sexuality. You know you're that guy who was literally <coughs> staring at a Sugar Babes video going, I might just break the fucking TV. Will I just throw this TV out the fucking window? And now you know that she's underneath you. I've achieved. I've reached the top of the sexuality mountain. But now, when you're older, and you like to believe you have a stronger sense of self, and no longer have such simplistic mechanisms to judge yourself on, it is weird to kind of comprehend the what am I in this for? And things like the arse or the back, these become much more artistic, smooth mechanisms that you actually start to realize the beauty in other humans as opposed to going, look at that back, look at me. We fucking heal half that. You up here, yeah, you yeah, fucking yeah, should have seen our tits, man. Yeah, look at a picture of her. The still guys doing that, by the way. Guys who are 40 years of age are showing pictures of chicks they picked up last night. And a lot of the repulsion of the penis, ah, there's fucking dick could be swinging about, is, is, is part of that mindset. Why would you choose an extremely unattractive woman that, that you found to be not just unattractive physically, and that's not a judgment of weight or wonky faces, it's all personal, we don't know what we like. But it's also her attitude, her life philosophy the way she speaks, the way she isn't um, in touch with her insecurities to any level, that they're just kind of masked. And that mask is so ugly because it lets us all know, shit, there's a lot going on there. Would you rather stick your dick in her unattractive future tenement of whatever baby has to come out of it. Would you rather do that than a male you really related with? Who you loved? Who you thought was great crack? Who understood you? Who you went down trauma fucking avenue with? Who had an average enough hours? Whatever. Although, what I'm saying is, yeah, as a straight man and a straight listeners, that's it's very tough to comprehend that. But if you think about it, why? And then you think about that why, then you start to ask, is the gay thing do you, do you come out of the womb singing Karma Comedian? Or are these fucking societal circumstances? You see males who came from a feminine background. A single mother with just a sister is a very common one. And then, where are we going tonight, girls? No, 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 I'll ring them in. I'm not working now. I was, fucking, I was in the far last night and I'm absolutely wrecked. So I'm ringing ahead. No, 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 we'll go out. We'll go out. And he's the brother. And he's lovely. But if dad was around, would would that be his... Is that a shoot? I, I don't know. <clears throat> because when you're four and you kind of engage in feminine behaviors in your house, and 
and then you grow to seven and you like duck out of a tackle, your old man's screaming at you and it makes you go, although you're going, I don't like that, I fear that, it does change you and does allow you to realign your values even if you wouldn't act like it futuristically. You believe it for a bit, then you grow out of it and then you forgive it and then you have your new personality. But a lot of these uh, characters who, who chose homosexuality as well could have been rebellion. I've never fucking given it to dad, never manning up, knowing that he's just insincere and he's only popping down here his mom wants him to come and he doesn't give a shit about me. You want me to tackle? Have a look at this. YMCA on the fucking halfway line. I can't be at that. No, 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 that's the second time. No, he's off. Fucking send me off then. He's off. No way. Possibly. Why, why is sexuality exempt from the evolution of the human mind via circumstances that we are exposed to A.K.A. nurturance. It fucking probably is. If we realised that, we'd no longer empower people who are holding signs in fucking Alabama saying, Fucking fags! Burn all the fucking fags! We'd kind of forgive them because all they're doing is just not understanding our life our life circumstances and just kind of having a problem with our life choices. And who gives a fuck about anyone criticising your life choices? The victimisation comes from they're not cool with who I am. Fuck the I am shit. Don't victimize yourself and an entire community here and empower these fucking ignorant cunts. You chose to be a fucking faggot. You chose to wear a fucking cap every day. You're 60, son. And in an Irish context, all the guys who voted no in 2015 sitting in the arse end of fucking boozer in Waterford. I don't think they should marry. I don't think you should have 40 pints a week and fancy your niece. Your judgment doesn't matter to me. It's a choice. You're choosing to be an absolute fucking fat cretin whose nose never stops growing with age or ears. They say a male's nose or ears never stop growing. Why is it so common for that character who's anti-queer drinking a Guinness in a bar? It's a choice he made. What's he going to say? He was born like it? He was born ignorant. No. The circumstances in which he was raised formed his character. And sexuality is very much part of character. And when you wouldn't get hurt then. How would you get hurt? Talk to me about your boners then, boys. Because I'm not been funny. When I was 11... And I used to steal cigarettes from aunties and go out the back garden and just light them up. You're not, you are not—you can't inhale them. You hear all those guys who are around in like the fucking 50s. We started smoking at eight. Shut up. Why do they exaggerate that shit? I was eight. I'm telling eight years old. You weren't eight. You were 14. Just shut up. You've seen I'll cunt. You can't inhale them. You just stand at the back and you smoke them and you pretend you're Danny Zuko on the opening scene agrees. I was getting hard to the smoking. The The rebellion of it and the association with adulthood that I placed on it made me feel so validated that I got sexually aroused. And that's the same thing with your 17 and 18 or all boner. Let's say you're 18 and there's that woman with the hair extensions and the white dress who has absolutely no personality, soul, or, or positive contribution to make to the world. 
when you're 18, she comes up to you. Your insecurities, even though you know she's such a piece of shit with everything she stands for. Her mother was a piece of shit and her father was an even fucking bigger one. You'd still kind of take her home and kind of get hurt because you know, listen, I'm not mad about her, I don't love her, but there's a few lads who would think whatever, yeah, she was fit and I can show the Instagram. And you still get hurt, but now, at this age, you, could, you couldn't get going with her. You couldn't have her go into the toilet. Let's say you're in London, she had a fucking Essex accent. She couldn't grab and go, I'm fucking, I promise you, you're going to fucking take me. You just go, this is ridiculous. The dick just doesn't pop up against your whole soul and spirit and inner psychology. You don't go, you know what, I think you're an absolute cunt, but bang. It doesn't happen. Unless you haven't grown up and unless you haven't developed any form of, not even stability, because who the fuck's stable and who doesn't have fucking wild intrusive thoughts, but sense of self. And that's why you have lads who watch these women walk around on Love Island and debate who the current Prime Minister is while eating fucking ice pops, knowing that they would hate them to mother their children. They repulse them in every single way. But you have lads who would still go, ah, but she's fit, though. Her tits are great in the bikini, her arse and stuff. So they're actually, they're actually shagging something they detest in order to achieve self-acceptance. So they're actually shagging the approval of others, and that doesn't even mean they have to go around putting flyers up about the incident. But even to just internally feel, right, I'm still a man because I stuck my cock um, in the fanny of that fucking airhead whilst holding her arse, and yeah, I'm a man because I could pull her, even though, think about her tastes in clothing, think about her tastes in music, TV, food, people and then ask yourself what did you have to become in order to be one of her acquired tastes you had to become a tosser you had to say shit that you really didn't want to say you had to smile at things you didn't want to smile at you had to ignore the comments to waiters that weren't even like humorous um, put downs just a genuine entitlement that made them think that the the wine being wrong kind of matters and is worthy of complaint as opposed to just going get it into you or else turn the conversation into how, how bad the wine is. You just don't call the Peruvian back over ever again. Costa Rican woman um, who I met two weeks ago and still haven't washed off my spirit and caused me to not talk to my listeners uh, who have been nothing but loyal for over three weeks. Don't do it. They're not shagging the woman. Imagine what you have to become in order for her to want to get naked and do it. Repulsive. That character is no more repulsive than a dick. What is repulsive about the dick is that if you were to grab one or stick one over yours, you'd start going... I have fucked up so much in my life that I'm actually now using dick. These factors come into consideration, and this whole thing, the fucking, he's a boy, he's eight pounds, and he's queer. That's absolute fucking nonsense. And that's not to say homosexuality is put on. It's it's that sexuality is very performative, and all kind of a, a skit got to do with your relationship with rebellion or having an 
extraordinary moment within an ordinary life. We walk around clothed all day, occasionally walking mountains and saying to other people, how are you? How are you? Those people who feel the need, but when they're on a walk, who don't even look at the fucking barista in the eye when they're ordering a coffee and they go and fucking walks in forest. How are you? You all right? Go, what the fuck? What, 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 what are we all saying fucking how are you for? What the fuck's going on here? That's how people behave. So imagine there's this time in their life, their day, their week, that they get to roll around naked and do crazy shit and kind of in a way say their true feelings possibly about love and affection. Sober. And however they act within that setting is kind of their business. That's why people who think that Mason Greenwood factually raped his girlfriend because they heard a 16-second WhatsApp audio in which he says, put your fucking legs up. That could easily be, not necessarily role play, but some weird kind of routine they've gotten into in which him chasing the sex is nearly part of the deal. And that's how she kind of remains in a relationship using his notoriety and fame in order to grow her own Instagram following and probably never really do anything in life but put up a few clothing brands because he could use both feet. Maybe it's part of their deal that she kind of feels like uh, Mason uh, has to keep him like hungry. If she was jumping all over him in a certain way, their dynamic will be different. And there is dynamics in those relationships, especially when you're like a footballer's girlfriend that is quite clearly cashing in on the fact that he's a footballer. Um, and again, anyone who's, who's doubting uh, the mindsets of, of many of these women, look no further than the literal fucking Wagata Christie trial that now has a program that Michael Sheen is acting in, that is taken seriously and watched on Channel 4 as if it's a legitimate drama. Um, maybe that's her dynamic, and and maybe if her and Mason got into a row, she'd just decide to post all this shit on Instagram whilst never leaving him, and now having his baby in her oven. We don't know the dynamics, but we just want to believe what we're presented on Twitter. But we are now just forced into an opinion that we've no control over due to how the algorithm uh, provides us information. So then you have people who kind of go, the whole left-wing thing's bullshit, but they have, they've no proof in a 16-second audio, but just a little bit of dialogue with no context. But then you nearly have to say, right, I've stood up against this left-wing crazy shit now for years, um, but that is, in fairness, you have an audio note. I feel, now you're, right. you're still afraid to kind of even stand by your point. It's like, it's not, it's not fair support unless you're extremely left with absolutely no evidence if, if you genuinely say i still don't think that is factual rape you're nearly forced into this sense within yourself that either i say i'm going too far or i partake in isolation and that's the world we live in and he probably won't play for united again because why would it be worth anyone's time? Because the audio is out there and the public opinion is already decided. He won't achieve what he could have achieved in his football career. Because his girlfriend, when they were kids, put some shit up on Instagram that he never got done for. And we know no context about, but fuck it. I was twenty twenty three. you know, you could... Shit that didn't happen just kind of... Um, was forced into reality via just this thing called social media. I know, but it was grand. It was the same year that... Fucking Tommy Fury's fighting Jake Paul, and I was just after Trump was uh, the fucking president, and yeah, 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 there was people going as them. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, fucking Sam Smith was, was, was saying Fisher them and all. Yeah, yeah, there was no, 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 the only two factual things in life, yeah, the, the 
the estrogen, testosterone, the dick and balls, and the the vagina. No, no, that was we turned the only actual fact about our existence into the one thing that isn't a fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we made facts shit that aren't. Yeah, that's what we. Yeah, so it didn't bother me. It was grand. Yeah, nineteen goals that season. It was brilliant. Delighted with it. Anyway, well, see you later, lads. All the best, lads. I'm off to take a picture of Harriet sitting on the island of my kitchen that my former football career paid for while she tries to sell us a fucking Louis Vuitton bag. I'm now her photographer. Because the left sold us ideas of misogyny that weren't accurate whilst ignoring real misogyny the entire fucking time. And that most women who achieve fame and power are still selling their arse and stomach, but we pretend that the patriarchy is on its fucking knees. Let's get fucking real. And this Andrew Tate fucking dickhead who has quite clearly noticed that the world, whilst pretending to um, be more woke, more inclusive, and more supportive of minorities, not only promotes controversial opinion uh, to the same level that it used to before we all started going on about this shit, but more so. So I'm going to say shit I only half believe as an absolute gimp who was on Big Brother and kickboxed. I don't care if you're good at kickboxing or martial arts. Boxing I do semi-respect. Uh, maybe it's the old school romantic in me. But MMA, kickboxing, yeah. If you did achieve something great and um, followed your dreams and did it, yeah, well done. But joining it in the first place is, is, is where my problem is with you. Any guy who's nine goes, I'm off to fucking kickbox the shit out of someone. Nah, well, who is that nine-year-old? The fuck happened to him? Don't want to know. Who's the 15-year-old who goes down to MMA class? Nah, not for me. But yeah, no, if you did well, all the best. But he realized that he realized I can get famous over, and I tell lies, possibly about my net worth, and 100% about my experiences with females, and say shit that I don't really mean, and then know I've no substance, and this fame will lead to such excessive influence because the market he's appealing to is 17-year-olds. They're the most insecure and most uh, confused about how they bring their kind of testosterone and masculine identity into adulthood, especially when they're going into a world that is so hazy over those issues. So they're the ones who are making this guy famous and idolizing him as a god, not because they're getting influence to go in and call their teacher a slut, because they're going, he's kind of showing me a route to how to be a man. But he's not really. He's just selling his arse for clicks, and he's the exact thing he's criticizing. But the kids, but the kids uh, relate to it. But what he has accidentally proved is, and he realized this, um in the shit he was saying, that if you verbalize an opinion that is viewed as wrong and not necessarily have been proven to act on any of it, if you say the wrong opinion, you can be falsely imprisoned uh, and kept in jail for longer than murderers before a proper trial who there's genuine evidence on. Um, he's proved that the world has gone that mad that we all are just automatically assuming sex trafficker. What I'd say about your man is he's an insecure um, guy who didn't have a great relationship with his parents, was uh, highly unsure about his own masculinity, had this little brother following him around who's not far off mentally handicapped. And he wanted to fill a void, and that's why he was bathroom cunts and rings, and that's then why he pursued fame via Big Brother. And that's why he drives around in cars thinking that they in some way make you a better man or human. And he just sells his bullshit um, because he'd do anything for fame. And he realized that that kind of controversy that he only semi-believes was the quickest route to it. But he's not a sex trafficker. 
He's an absolute moron. You would have laughed at him if you were 18 and you met him. And you would have gone, your man Tate would do anything. He's absolutely no soul. He's fucking shameless. And he would do something like pretend to be a pimp. But the the reality is that pathetic fucker wouldn't have the prowess or the genuine kind of cruelty or kind of dirty, fucked up intelligence you need to be a genuine kind of crime lord who's running a sex ring. He's a fucking idiot. The women are laughing at him. So he's accidentally proved a point that we have the world so wrong that as opposed to looking inward and thinking, why have we created mechanisms and given favorable tax to companies that are allowing people to be brainwashed and have people like Andrew Tate rising to the top of cultural influence? As opposed to asking that question, we're just going along with he too much influence. Let's completely misread his personality and as opposed to portray him as a fool, which he would have been in the 70s or 80s, some idiot attention seeker who had absolutely no identity, um, as opposed to just laughing at the gun, let's put him away for being some sex ring orchestrator, which, again, I just, when you look at the two of those morons speak, it just doesn't seem like they even have the administrative skills to conduct such an operation. They're performers, they're actors, even their filmed misogyny is just all part of the fucking algorithm. They're idiots. So yeah, possibly that level of foolishness does does deserve jail time. That's a different conversation. Then there's loads of cunts we should be locking up. But why lock them up for shit that, in a way, is a, it's a backhanded compliment to these thick fucks who talk nonsense. We're t- we're told huge lies when it comes to how crime works. The real guys who are pulling the strings in mass crime are very rarely the guy dancing around trying to wind up the journals on camera saying, fuck off. No, they're just faces. They're just guys who like the glorification. Even characters in Dublin history, uh, without naming names due to the fear that Michael Collins people might still check on the show the odd time. Even those great characters of crime that were glorified by the fucking Veronica Guerin articles um, and now other people who are spending their life debating the level of cash taken to airports by working-class dudes. Um, they're never pulling the strings. Because we're very naive to how it actually works and how, like, you'd get done eventually. You know, it must be those guys because they're the ones getting done. The, you don't get done. Because it's quite simple to get away with crime, especially in a small country like Ireland, even in the UK. These policemen are guys who had average intelligence High levels of insecurity throughout their teen years. They join the police force, uh, probably to show mom and dad that they could be something. So they'll take it out on, on breathalyzers, double the salary, feel better. They then become a superintendent, and now they're facing the fucking media, and they're talking about, you know, we're trying our best to, to, to locate uh, the exact whereabouts uh, of the weapon. And yeah, whatever, you're on 140 grand a year, but you're still some suburban, insecure fucking idiot. You're not going to die over this shit. You were just trying to make, as I said, your priest uncle proud. So, these guys don't just wait outside your fucking gaff anymore, put bombs under your cars. These guys have developed relationships in Hong Kong and China and shit now. Like, the, the, the top Dublin guys. So, what happens is, the policeman gets a phone call, because these guys now work with, like, hackers and trackers. That like the, the personal number and shit like that, that's no longer hard to get. He gets a phone call, and so sophisticated is the hacking, it could actually present itself as some kind of, like, uh, 
colleague or some shit on the bastard. That's how much information these cunts have. So he goes, hello? And they go, how are you, superintendent? Um, John O'Malley here. Um, don't hang up, because you're only wasting your own time. Um, listen, I know you've worked hard. You've been there 20 years. Uh, I've watched your rise. And um, in the, there's a lot of things you've done right, and I'd agree with you. But you're wrong on certain things, superintendent. And the case you're putting together currently is something that um, isn't going to work for you. So if you look at your wall there to the left, there's a red light. And two of my colleagues from Russia uh, are pointing the most sophisticated snipers into your bedroom. And within a second can either put it on your wife's head if you make a noise or your head. So do me a favor. Don't panic. Calm down. No one's getting shot yet. Put on your slippers. Come outside. Get into your car and drive to the gates of Phoenix Park, please, Superintendent. No tracing, nothing. And before you press the emergency button by your bed, I'm serious when I say I'll blow the fucking wife's head off. Unless you want me to go into Lindsay's room. Upstairs to the left, Superintendent. So he's now walking out, telling no colleagues, nothing. There is no fucking protection. He drives to Phoenix Park. A guy who has the gates to Phoenix Park. Two grand to some fucking Polak. Hey, Superintendent, you, you just... um. Next left after the monument. It's all quite calm. Kidnapping's changed. They're not going to get in here, you fucking pig rat. Yeah, superintendent, uh, second left. He goes in, and they've... Two guys pick him up. They walk in calmly. He comes to the middle of it, and they go, superintendent, how are you? Uh, don't like meeting you like this. Don't be panicking. It's it's changed a bit. This is just a serious business meeting. And their business is now more important than the guards' business. Even the lawyers. It's got so sophisticated. They, they, these guys think they're corporates. This is the guy who's never getting caught, and this is only the guy you're working from. Listen, uh, you're putting a case together on Tomas. Um, he's no longer living in Ireland, and I've been told that um, it's it's not just inaccurate. You're miles off all that. Listen, I'm going to take it out of your hands, and I want to tell you right now, we can have you killed tonight, and we can actually, with the, the two lads I have there, that's uh, Ivac. Oh, wait, wait. Give him a wave. Huh? No, no, we'll be out here by 10. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, let's come back to it. And that's Vlad. Um, what they work in is a certain area of crime called set-up suicide. So after I kill you, which won't be something from the fucking Soprano superintendent, I will simply take this tablet I have here, have my two friends hold you down, and fucking force-feed it to you before the two lads place you into a noose and hedge towards that tree. If we don't want to do that, we also have uh, some medication here that has some of the same... Am I right, Vlad? It has some of the same chemicals in it that would actually mirror what I've given you to kill you. And um, I, I, I can leave you lying there looking like it was an overdose superintendent. I have 50 grand a suitcase. I want you to take that because if you don't take it, you've essentially done nothing wrong, superintendent, with this meeting. And also, uh, you could do an extension of retirement next year. It's 50 there. If you want 100, ring us. If you do need a loan, anything like that, if you're, if you're looking to even buy somewhere, but we can arrange all that. But you're going to take that, you're going to go home with you. And uh, I presume that's going to be gone um, by six, because Garda Kelly um, is currently on Sandy Mount Strand, and he knows how the whole thing's going to go down tomorrow. All right, super. Okay, good meeting you. All right, lads. Cheers. Next day, entire story and rumor is off Twitter. It's out of the Sunday world. And no one gets done. The crime works. This whole thing of trying to identify who shot who and what the motives were amongst criminal gangs. They've made so many 
decisions in their life we find unrelatable. They chose to be in an industry that has no regard for the economy. There's so many things that have to happen in their life before they get to that point where they go, you know what, I might have to see a shooting twice, but it still feeds my daughter. How can we relate to their motives within their craft when we so little knowledge internally about what it takes to be in that craft? It's all wasted time. All of our interpretations of crime are fucking miles off. And social media has made it worse. And that's why we have all those great films from the 50s and 60s when they're chasing Capone and all these dudes. Not just because it's got easier for the guy at the top to get away with you due to technological advances, but also because the guards had a bit more passion for what they were about back then. And the crooked cop was a big deal as opposed to every cop just having to be crooked now. It's not even a fucking option. They don't control... Their, their jobs aren't as important as the criminals now. Rate and review the MA show and forgive... Um, the um, lack of shows, but we're in a process of individuation um, amongst the MA show team at the minute, where we're visiting the dark parts of our subconscious so they stop fucking creeping into the conscious. And you'll know when we're taking it seriously again. Um, To the listeners, I love you, and I hope that uh, deep down there somewhere there's there's still some love for me. Am I sure? It's been how many years, my oh, boy? You still don't know my chairs of joy. No need to go, just take Radio it cast. slow. Podcast. And have you heard the Michael Anthony show? Makes me feel just fine. What's it? Makes me see the light. What about those tears? Believe my eyes. How's it make it feel? Makes me feel alright.